This is BTS with CTV Behind the Scenes, Behind the Stories we bring you from the CTV Vancouver Newsroom. My name is Penny Daflos and I'll be your guide behind the curtain to how and why we report on the latest technology and trends in our community. I think there can be a misperception that video games are not real life or there, there can't be good social interactions. From how online games and apps are changing the nature of our interpersonal relationships. In the middle of a work day, more than a dozen people are huddled around their phones. Oh, 17 people now, wow. Okay, had to join. When you watch these plays on the internet that we've seen here, it gives you the goosebumps. To the intersection of commerce and crime. It's just really utilizing that sort of uh, urgency and setting up that fear that something bad is going to happen to you. I feel dumb. <laughs> I definitely feel dumb for sure that I, you know, it's too good to be true. Issues around technology have an unmistakable impact on our lives. Think about safety around Craigslist transactions. If they're reluctant to meet at a public place like a police station, um, you know, that should raise a red flag. To the latest iteration of sextortion scams with a new angle seemingly every week. It's very difficult uh, to investigate these kind of incidents. Uh, quite often the suspects uh, are located outside of Canada. But with the bad also comes the good. Many of these people, this is a, a game that's a big part of what they do for entertainment. So it's kind of a natural way to connect with another person. Making real life connections, watching online heroes IRL. They play it at such a high level and then like the crowd, the crowd atmosphere, you can't beat that. I think it's really important to watch someone that is a lot better than you. Here to talk tech, trends and journalism is CTV Vancouver Managing Editor Ethan Faber. Here we are again, my favorite thing, your podcast. Our podcast. Thank you so much for being on, Ethan. And and I love this topic so much because a lot of people criticize the news for being blood and guts and doom and gloom and awful things. And other people criticize it for being, you know, airy fairy and animal stories all the time. And I personally feel because this is a... a area of passion for me, that technology and trends, it's about our society. And this is one of those topics that I think everybody can get into uh, because there is just so much going on all the time. Yeah. Well, like I taught um, a night school journalism course at BCIT for a long time. And on the first night, uh, and this is an introduction to journalism, right? So on the first night, I would write on the whiteboard, what are the elements of news, right? Like what makes a news story? And, you know, we came up uh, with seven elements of news. And, and one of the first ones we would always write down was impact. Mm-hmm. You know, what's the impact? And, and that was one of the ways of measuring what, what we thought qualified as a news story. And when you think about the impact of technology on our lives, it's incredible. And so right there, it's, it's a home run subject for impact and especially because it's so ubiquitous and you know seriously this weekend i got my very first text from my mother who's 75 and she got an iphone uh because she has to track my stepfather in case he gets lost (laughs) but seriously so here's an example of how impactful technology is on everyone not just young hipsters but retired ladies in victoria Speaking of young hipsters, a lot of people, maybe if they saw a promo run or if they saw the, a tweet about us doing a story about esports, would have. It's a bit of a head scratcher for older people. Why? First of all, why call it a sport? It's people playing video games. There's a lot of criticism for that. But since you are our managing editor and guide a lot of our editorial, 
Explain to people why esports is a newsworthy topic to cover. Well, in in the case of the esports team being purchased by the ownership group of the Vancouver Canucks, it was pretty easy for us to see why this was a story when we started looking into the economic impact. You know, so it it was helpful that it was the owners of the Canucks because that's instantly interesting to people. And you know, if and it also legitimized the idea of esports in my own mind, just as we decided whether or not to cover it right away because here's a large business entity that clearly isn't going to waste its money on frivolous investments they own an NHL team and an arena and they're buying into this industry esports so that's what made the story so fascinating to us, I think, in the newsroom. And it, it instantly made us want to know more. Why would the Aquilini Group be buying an esports team? Boy, that must be more than just a couple of people in the basement playing too much video games. Uh, it's something that instantly told us this is a credible economic uh, phenomenon. And so once you start looking into it, you start realizing, wow, there's millions and millions of dollars and millions and millions of people involved. And so when we sometimes look for trends that way, when when a, a relatively conservative institution like like an old school sports company is buying something like this, it instantly tells you that they've seen something that we need to recognize as well as worthy of, of reporting on. And I think it was a one-two punch, considering that just a few weeks earlier was the Dota 2 Championship, where people came from all around the world for a big uh, esports tournament, where there was $26 million U.S. in prizes. And I think that that took a lot of people by surprise. And for a lot of people, that would have been the first time that esports was on their radar. And they realized that, man, playing video games in your basement, it's, it's not just that anymore. This, this industry has changed without a lot of people realizing that that change was underway. Listen, we want to do stories about... Um, subjects that are interesting to a lot of people. It's called broadcasting, uh, not narrowcasting. And that applies now clearly to these types of tournaments. When Rogers Arena is selling out, when there's tens of thousands of people lining up to see this, then I think it needs to be on the news and we need to explore uh, and find out why is it so interesting. And it's really fun. I mean, we often, I didn't know what Dota was uh, until I heard about the tournament. And I started started seeing people walking around with t-shirts on. That Sometimes that's all it takes for us to say, hey, that's worth doing a news story on. And, and I'm really happy we did because in a way, the process of, of journalism is learning in public. That's what reporters do. They learn stuff in public. And that's exactly what's been going on as you cover this type of technology. You can see a reporter going in, sometimes knowing nothing about this subject. And by the time they're ready to report on the news, on the website, uh, you, can, you can tell that they've gone through, through a learning process as well. And so it makes for a really compelling story. You totally outed me because I had no idea about esports really before doing that story. And I'm glad I did. And as a, as a small aside, telling stories like that can be sometimes challenging because you don't want to just show an arena full of people, compelling as it is, to think there are just as many people here to watch six guys on each side play a video game as here to watch the Canucks. That, first of all, is like, whoa. But then in terms of telling that story so that you're not just watching a video game and watching people watching that video game, it was just so fascinating to talk to people who were there and find out what an impact it's made on their lives and how this online community that they have to get that real life experience of like-minded people and to feel that passion and that excitement in a big arena 
just as a storyteller, it was just a whole new way of kind of presenting something that generally takes place on a screen. I think we don't do enough coverage like that. And technology coverage is is often a real challenge um, because you don't want to come across like you know nothing. Uh, You know, you'll end up having a newscast that appears you know, sort of out of touch. But if you can go in with an open mind and try to think about who's your viewer. So typically we want as many people to watch us as possible, all age groups, but we know that the the typical news viewer or the typical news reader uh, is often a little bit older and curious about what's happening with younger people. Um, Not a lot of really young people tend to to be consumers of news. So we have to kind of come in there as an advocate for who our audience probably is. And I think it's really useful uh, to look at it that way. I, I come at it sometimes as a parent of a teenager. I try to think how I often I'm sort of confronting my own teenage son. I want to know what music are you listening to? And what are you doing um, on the PS4? What is the game that you're playing? Or how are you even researching this homework assignment on an iPad? Where are you going? Uh, and what types of technology are you using? And so I kind of bring the same curiosity as a parent uh, into the newsroom. And that, that helps us uh, find stories and tell them in a way that doesn't seem like I don't want to sound like some old fuddy-duddy either. Like, look at these screens. <laughs> it's so amazing. You know, they're playing games and, and being paid for it. I, I don't want to come in there and look totally out of touch. I just want to come in there and have our reporters look like they're curious, like they have open minds, and they're trying to get a sense of changes as they're happening in society. And so that's what's going on with technology reporting, in my opinion. And there's so many examples of that. We, uh, I did a story a couple of years ago about influencers. And for people who don't know what that term is, it's people who are on YouTube, Instagram, uh, to a lesser extent, Twitter, who have huge followings of like-minded people. Sometimes it's somebody who may, um, it could be a tattoo artist. Uh, and all of a sudden, uh, you see them hawking a certain moisturizer for a post-tattoo care or whatever. And that's because they have such a following that they've been able to monetize that with advertisers. And it's become a viable career for a lot of people. That was another one where, you know, you come at it from a position of curiosity. You want to learn about how does this industry work? How much can they get paid? And all of a sudden you've got a a great series of stories. I think it was a two or three parter that we did just explaining to people at large that if you see somebody that you follow on Instagram hawking stuff from the Home Depot or anywhere else, they're actually making a living at that, which is amazing to think of how far social media has gone in just a couple of years. Yeah, so we're interested in the economics of it for sure. Uh, We want to be able to tell people if if these are viable careers or not. And then the darker side of it we've seen as influencers have actually gone um, and taken risks in our community lately and ended up dying. Um, we had the death up um, at Shannon Falls over the summertime of some social media influencers who were out there shooting videos uh, and ended up falling into the water and dying. Um, and that's where news and technology have this uh, strange intersection where there's a dark side to what's happening with the the power of this technology to instantly communicate with millions of people, often young people, maybe people who don't have the best judgment. And we start seeing that sort of phenomenon happening. And I, I it happened this summer in my own family because my, my, my 16-year-old was freaking out because there was a big social media influencer 
uh, in Lynn Canyon shooting uh, some kind of video about cliff jumping. And it, it was amazing to see how quickly he knew about it and all his friends knew about it and they were instantly Snapchatting about it and they were instantly on their phones and they were instantly heading for the woods to try to find the crew. And so that's something I want to understand uh, and I want to report on it and I want to get it onto the news, not just um, because of the danger, but just because it's something that's having such a profound Im- influence on a whole generation of people in the community. So that sounds like news to me. Well, and stuff that can at first sound frivolous can have much broader reaching implications. Uh, a year or two ago when Pokemon Go was a big thing, uh, a lot of kids were going around and playing it. They were chewing up their data plans, which is a, a consumer issue for Ross to deal with with all these kids trying to you know catch all that Pokemon and play at gyms and stuff. But there was also a sexual assault associated with uh, Pokemon. A, a younger, uh, I think she was 18 or 19, a, a young woman uh, had arranged to meet somebody uh, late at night at a park. She thought to play Pokemon. The guy she was with thought that it was for sex sex assault happened. So that was another one where you had to understand what Pokemon Go was about and how it was gathering people together and how there was all this, you know, new wave of connecting with people in real life that you never would have connected with before. And that was all spawned by a single game that had a shelf life of just a few months. Yeah. And how about people who were driving around? playing Pokemon Go and looking at their phone while they were, and there were, uh, I think there were some accidents that, and the police revealed that this was the driver on Pokemon Go. And so once again, it comes back to that for me, it comes back to the old seven elements of news uh, from that BCIT class, because some of the other elements uh, that we think makes for a news story involve change. That's another big one, right? So I said impact earlier, change is one, conflict is another, proximity is a big one, because I believe all news is local, especially a local news shop like ours. So when you you can't just go in and take a subject like technology and say, let's go report on it. You have to find a story that has some of those things like change and impact or conflict. And so when we can start to kind of put technology through that filter, then you start finding stories and then it becomes interesting. And you don't have to be a tech geek or someone who understands how to code. You just have to be interested in what's happening in the community, what's going on outside on the street. uh, What are the good things that are happening? What are the jobs that are available? What are some of the dangers? What are some of the risks? And so we come at it like any other subject. You come at City Hall the same way, looking for those stories. Well, you have to do that with technology too. But it's a learning process. And I I really think it's fun to watch like a reporter like yourself where you go in and you actually do kind of follow that old rule of what is a reporter. uh, A reporter is someone who gets educated in public. You walk in, you don't know anything about something. And by the end of the day, uh, you've, you've got all this enthusiasm and fascination for something that you've just discovered and you want to share it with the audience. And then you walk in and you ask your uh, producer and your uh, managing editor for a little bit of extra time because it is just such an interesting story and it does start to impact a lot of people. And that's where we start advocating for stories that we're really passionate about that uh, it's something a little bit different because we don't get to do these stories every day. Well, yeah. And from a strategic point of view and a news point of view in the future uh, of the industry, which is we're having a lot of existential conversations these days um, as the medium changes and the way news is disseminated 
disseminated changes. How do we become and and then remain relevant to new viewers? You know, so we have to figure out a way to sort of translate technology for the older viewer, of which there are lots, but also be relevant and topical and interesting to a younger generation of 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 news consumer. And so hopefully we can get the best of both worlds where we're translating what's going on to people in their 40s and their 50s and we're reporting on the stuff that people in their 20s care about because that's something that we don't want want to kind of lose sight of which is how do you stay relevant and when someone's 20 years old and they're going to watch an esports tournament do they have a reason to watch the news these days is does does your news product whether it's your your website or your television product is it relevant to those people if it's not it you better figure out a way to make it relevant and covering technology i think is one of the ways to do that well, and I also think our newsroom is actually really well positioned to do that because we do, we do have such a huge range, age range of people working here. I think there's often an assumption that it's all, you know, older gray hairs, you know, steering the ship or whatever, whereas I feel our newsroom is actually really diverse. We've got some people in their 20s. Our uh, social media associate producer, I think, is uh, 25 or 26. And it's really great because... Nick has the journalistic fundamentals, for example, and Nick Wells was on the podcast last week, if anyone wants to check that out for the social media discussion. But a lot of us reporters were in our early to mid-30s, some of us late 30s, uh, early 40s, and then our editorial staff is like, it's a huge age range. And I think that actually really helps keep us grounded, but also make us relevant, you know, through a cross-section. Well, yeah. So now you're talking about sort of the the way that you have a newsroom that's going to be open to to covering all stories and not then to not have blind spots about particular subjects and technology is one of them so yeah having an inclusive newsroom and a newsroom where ideas are welcome that's so huge and i think i think the the technology beat is one that is essential to having that kind of a newsroom. It's not going to exist if you don't. So yeah, you want a newsroom that doesn't just have people who sort of fit a bunch of stereotypes, like young people are all (laughs) technologically savvy and old people are not. In fact, the most technologically savvy person, I think, in our whole newsroom uh, is uh, into his 50s, and it would be one of our our directors. Uh, And he's incredibly technologically savvy. But but more important than just having a kind of a a cross-section of society, um, I think, is having a culture in a newsroom that's open to ideas. So that's why we have a futures meeting where people can come in and pitch an idea. And hopefully, um, when that happens, the, the, the ideas are welcomed. All pitches may not result in stories, but hopefully people, when they come, and I love it when somebody new comes into our futures meeting who's never been there before and says that, that he or she has an idea. As long as the idea is embraced and the fact that they want to talk about something that they think should be covered for our news, as long as that process for them is positive and welcoming, then you end up having a really great newsroom because then more and more people start coming in and saying, hey, have you heard about this new technology? Have you seen what's going on on this app? Have you seen what's happening? And then hopefully you're covering the next Pokemon Go and you can also kind of win the the, the competitive race, which is 
let's cover the next Pokemon Go before everyone else does. Mm-hmm. Rather than by the time there's a tournament at Rogers Arena, you're finally covering it. Or by the time the Aqualinis are buying this esports team, now you're covering it. I think ideally, as far as like setting a goal for technology coverage, wouldn't it be great if we were covering esports before that happened? And so that's, I think, where there's room to grow. And you have to be just open-minded, curious, inclusive, and make sure sort of everybody who works in the newsroom, you know, there's more than 100 people, feels like they can come and pitch a story. And I think that's probably the way you're going to be able to get ahead of technology reporting rather than with mainstream media coming late to the party. Because everybody who's into esports is probably laughing that we finally did a story on it last week. You know, they're like, where the hell have you been for for the last couple of years? So I think that's where there's room to grow. It's so challenging, though, because things change so quickly. I mean, we went from a, a, a you know, traditional currency to a Bitcoin world. It felt like almost overnight. That's that's a, a big sea change in how things are being done. And I feel like technology is the same way. Facebook is passe for a lot of younger people now. They're not even on Facebook. So to try to keep on top of those trends, it's actually really hard because change happens so quickly. Just that machine is running so fast with the next big thing. So even just, you know, trying to keep tabs on stuff can actually be quite challenging. Yeah. And in, ideal, in an ideal world, you would have a dedicated technology reporter. You'd have a beat. And unfortunately, we don't really have the resources to to give a reporter an exclusive beat because the way the nature of news is just about every day, every reporter needs to be available to cover any story. So we need reporters to be generalists, too. And we don't really have the luxury of saying, hey, go off and explore the technology beat exclusively and we'll see it once every week with a story. That would be cool, but it's not that practical. We just can't really afford to run the newsroom like that. So hopefully people like yourself and other reporters and producers and writers and everybody here, they can develop an interest in technology uh, while still being able to cover everything else that we have to cover. And hopefully we'll get by that way and ideally get ahead. And our assignment editor, Scott Bills, is really great with that, actually. He knows, he has a, his in his Rolodex of reporters, he knows who's interested in what kind of stories and what expertise they've built. Because for someone to try to understand the esports beat, for example, from scratch, it's going to take a while. It's going to take them all day, at least, to just get you know a, a really good sense of what's going on. So it does help when we get, I mean, I'm on a cannabis series next week, you know that, and I think that'll be another podcast topic. Uh, but it's it's nice when we can actually um, have um, focus areas. I'm not. It's not like we're exclusive beat reporters reporters in a certain thing, but we do have a focus that we try to kind of develop over time. Technological literacy, you know, right? Like it's essential for what you want to cover. And it's also incredible how important technology has become to just gathering the news. You could do a whole other podcast on that. And, and so don't want to, I don't want to change the subject, but I think it's sort of related. I can't believe how powerful social media is in researching stories now. It's amazing. Some of the best fire video we had some of the most compelling video from this season's forest fires across the province came on social media and it and we have people now working on our assignment desk who are so sharp 
on finding things out. It's not like go to Google and type the person's name and here comes their picture and their bio. And now you can report on this person who's been charged with a crime or whatever. It's so much deeper than that, where you're going in um, to all kinds of sites and apps and social media places where you're researching a story and looking into somebody's background. It's incredible what we're able to find out and what we're able um, to report thanks to being technologically literate in the newsroom. So it affects the stories we're covering on the air and online, and it also affects how we're getting stories and how we're breaking stories with incredible videos sometimes from the scene. Faster than any camera operator can get to a location, it's often being tweeted out or it's being streamed out by someone who's right there. So yeah, there's so many benefits to being open-minded to technology in a newsroom. You'll get a better quality product and you'll also be able to find out stories and to research stories in ways we never thought was possible. So yeah, you better uh, adapt or die when it comes to technology in so many ways from, from what you do internally to the, to the product you put out there. Thank you so much for your time, Ethan. I appreciate it. Okay, fun. I'd also like to thank Janine Avelina for her help with archival audio this week. And thank you for joining us on BTS with CTV. Is there a topic you'd like us to cover on a future podcast? Email me, bts at ctv.ca. And if you like what you heard, please subscribe for more insights, tidbits, and the stories behind the stories. I'm Penny Daflos.